Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 37. Will you stand and we'll sing it together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. De delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord loves justice and his promise. He will never forsake us. The Lord loves justice and his promise. He will never forsake us. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage shall remain forever. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them because they take refuge in him. The Lord loves justice and his
please join me for our prayer of invocation. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us out of our routines, out of our accomplishments and labors, out of our struggles, anxious thoughts and burdened minds to come before you to sing and proclaim your praises. You have gathered us together from every nation, from all tribes and people, peoples and languages, so that we might join the company of heaven and say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb, your son, Jesus. Yet Father, this week has left our hearts vexed, unsure, fearful, or angry. We have heard the reports of terror and violence inflicted against Israeli citizens by Hamas. We have been reminded once again of the long history of the Jewish people, vulnerable in their homes and lives, attacked, taken away, or killed. And we think of the Palestinian people suffering the consequences of warfare and the utter carnage it brings, the displacement and destruction of lives and the dissolution of their young people's futures. Father, in this broken world, our Lord Jesus calls his church to be salt and light, to be those who refrain from vengeance and forsake wrath. But often, rather than loving our enemies, out of fear we withhold our love. Christ calls us to not be like the nations, lording over one another. But instead of being a servant to all, we make excuses and assert our rights at the expense of others. Father, assure us again of your promise of an eternal inheritance given by grace. By your spirit, transform us so we might walk in meekness. For Christ taught us that it is the meek who will inherit the earth and will delight in abundant peace. Father, true blessing comes through Jesus Christ, the one who brings forth our righteousness like the light and on the last day will display our vindication like the noonday sun. We pray this in his name, the Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Spirit, one God. Amen. At this time, children are dismissed for children's worship. So now we enter our time of confession. We'll first pray and sing together, confessing our sin corporately. And then we'll have a time of silent personal confession before God. O oh Lord, whose holiness defies our understanding, your will is known in Jesus, who came to release the captive, proclaim good news to the poor, and set the burden free. We ask in your grace that you accept our burdens and despair. Merciful God, you who weep with those who weep, who rescue the oppressed, who incline your ear to the needy, and who bind up the brokenhearted, we confess our hearts are fearful. Grant us hope. Our anxiety is widening. Grant us peace and reassurance. Our thinking is twisted. Grant us healing and illumination. Amen. Amen. Yeah. 
please take this moment to silently confess your sins before God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please rise so we can recite the words of assurance that God forgives our sins. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. At this time, turn to one another and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
Testament lesson is from Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3, 5 through 6, and 8 through 10. And all the people gathered as one man into the square and before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, body, so it, is, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thanks, Gina, for reading God's word. Um, for a number of weeks now, we've been uh, in a series about what it means to be known and loved by God. And perhaps when you hear this title, there's a, a sense of comfort, a, a comfort that the gospel brings, that, that God is intimately involved in pursuing and saving and delighting in his people. And yet getting to these wonderful truths, uh, taking in these realities about who God is in our lives, it's likely that uh, they have traveled through some tender places. Those places in the human experience that can be filled up with shame, filled up with regret, filled up with longing. And yet our passage today, it reminds us that God will meet us right there in the midst of those tender, those fallen down places of life. He will meet us there out of his love and he'll lift us out because he wants us to know that he is a God who redeems his people, who breaks free the shackles that bind us, a God who makes us new again. So let's turn together to uh, our, our text. It's uh, Luke chapter four, uh, verses 16 through 21. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled 
in your hearing. God's word is given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that, uh, that, you, that now that you would open us up, open us up to, to hear your words of life, to receive them, to take them in and, you, and be changed by them. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, in our text today, we find Jesus back, back in his hometown, back with the people who knew him. Um, they knew him as, uh, as the young boy. They knew him as the, the carpenter. And I imagine they also know uh, something of the disarming and the brilliance and the loving teacher in their midst. And uh, Luke, he tells us that while Jesus is in Nazareth, he did something that was a regular part of his everyday life of faith. It was the Sabbath, and he was going to the synagogue, a place where there was always a reading of the Torah. And alongside of this, there would often be a reading from one of the prophets. And after the reading, uh, any qualified person could get up to instruct the audience. And Luke tells us that this had become Jesus' regular custom. As he was visiting the synagogues throughout Galilee, he would instruct the audience based on that reading the day of that day. And on this particular occasion, in his hometown, Jesus stands up to indicate that he's got, he's got something to say. And they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus took it and he uh, deliberately opens it up to a particular place. He opens up to Isaiah chapter 61. And he proceeds to read it. And once he does, he hands the scroll back to the attendant and he sits down. I mean, it's the posture that uh, a rabbi in the first century would, would take in order to, to begin teaching. And so he sits down to teach and his first words out of his mouth are this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a monumentous moment. It's uh, an astonishing word because what Jesus is doing right there in that moment is saying that he is the one of whom Isaiah was speaking. He's saying that he's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And for us to get an idea, a sense of the wonder of this moment that the Messiah is, has come I mean, it's good for us to consider the world around Isaiah. We first uh, spoke those words hundreds of years before this moment, right, with Jesus. You see, in Isaiah 61, uh, the poor captives were God's people who had been carried away into exile in Babylon because of their disobedience, because of their sin and the rebelliousness. And just as Isaiah had previously foretold, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and now, Isaiah is announcing the good news that the poor captives have been forgiven, that the captives will be set free. The oppressed will be released and they'll be able to, to, to return home. And so Jesus, he picks up these words, and, but in the first century, they would have taken on a, a different kind of meaning. See, in the first century, God's people had already returned from their captivity. They were already living at home in Jerusalem and, and the surrounding area, yet, yet they still felt like they were living in exile because, once again, they were suffering under the iron fist of foreign oppression. 
What were they praying for? I mean, they were praying that God would release them from the oppression of Rome, that God would exact justice on their, on their behalf. And I think the experience of exile, of feeling estranged in the world that one inhabits, I think that is something quite familiar, even to us living in the modern world. I mean, see, we can be at home and not whole. I mean, we are broken, fallen people living in a world that is not yet as it should be. And this reality, it, it just stirs all our longings, facing down that we are uh, waiting yet again. And it's, uh, it's a welcome to real life, right, as you and I live it every day, waiting for the violence to stop, for peace to come to places where there are long and tired histories of unspeakable war and violence where the hate is so deep that evil flourishes in unimaginable ways. Waiting for my financial stability, my financial future to return. Waiting to, to feel comfortable in my own body, to not experience the, the, the bite that I'm not lovely enough to be wanted or, or to belong, to be desired waiting for leaders who want to, to build up and not tear apart, who want to heal and, and not destroy, waiting for those old habits, those, those ones that move me away from people and God, that deaden my soul, I'm waiting for those to change. I'm waiting for the flourishing, the dignity, the well-being of my neighbor to matter, especially those who are different than me and who come from the wrong part of town. Right, and, and into this moment, it is into this shared common experience, it is this way of being that the Messiah, God's servant, proclaims his mission into this world to deliver his people. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, as the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> I mean, what an answer to a people in exile. What a sturdy, a powerful word to shaky and fragile people. And God is saying to his people, I don't just see you. I'm not just looking at you from a distance. I am coming, coming catechismically to my waiting people to rescue them to save them. And if there's one thing I want us to hear this morning, one thing is that this is the unmistakable proclamation of hope. I mean, God's agent, his servant is saying to his people what he is saying to you and me. When I come, it will unshackle the reign of sin. The tyranny of the evil and death will have no dominion in this world. It means that all of the sadness and all of the grief, all of the, the emptiness will be raised up to restore, uh, to grow and flourish anew in this world. God is saying those who have been enemies, strangers to God, they will be brought into God's family and God's people will be ministers, loving those outside of faith, outside of goodness and wholeness so that they may find true life in him. 
God is saying there will be real justice and rightness in this world. This is the unmistakable unmistakable proclamation of hope. But I don't know about you, (laughs) but sometimes proclamations like this, they meet my skepticism. They meet my cynicism cynicism at the door of, of real life. And if I'm honest, sometimes my capacity to, to hope is tired, it's, it's infected, it, it needs something that can't be found in my religious piety or with self-help strategies or in front of a screen. <laughs> I mean, we live in a world where proclamations are made all the time. Politicians promote change, a better way of life all of the time, right? Advertisements, they they draw us in, they uh, arouse the heart to something exciting, something that will hopefully bring me status or, or fulfillment or fun, and on and on and on. And so when God's servant, when his good news meets our ears, I mean, I know I can react with pause, with, with doubt, with skepticism, having been set up by a world that cares very little about whether the thing that is actually being offered can make us whole. It's a cruel reality. It preys upon our deepest longings, our deep desire to be whole, to be loved, to be at home. But if there's uh, any bit of curiosity left in us, if, there, if our hope hasn't been defeated by the onslaught of empty promises from fraudulent voices, maybe, just maybe, we can hear Jesus when he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> I mean, Jesus has the audacity to claim that this ancient prophecy is a prophecy that was ultimately about him. The people in that place know what he is claiming. I mean, he is saying that, that God's agent, God's servant, the anointed one that shows up over and over again in Isaiah, the one who will bring rescue and redemption, who will make Israel a light to the nations. Jesus is saying that person is me. Everyone's hopes and longings to move out of their def- desolation, to move away from centuries, from after centuries of being enslaved to forces around them, to the forces of sin and death inside of them. All of the freedom, uh, uh, no more sorrow, no more hatred and injustice. Joy and gratitude and love will flow like the newness of a raging spring. But after Jesus makes this pronouncement, what we find in the story is, if we are honest, is something familiar and heartbreaking. People were astonished and they marveled. Uh, They marveled at the sheer grace coming out of him, but they wanted little to do with who he really is and what he came to do. I mean, the good news, the good news that was such a threat to them. It was such a threat to them that they took him to a cliff and were moments away from casting him off that cliff. You can read about this this scene later on in in Luke chapter 4. It's not too far down from where we read this morning, and I encourage you to do so. But friends, before we put our distance between that crowd that day and our own response to Jesus, God wants us to hear. He wants us to know that Jesus is always going to be a threat to 
than those of us who lose our hope. Many of the people in Jesus' time, they learned to survive exile, learning to survive captivity. <laughs> they hold the memory of hundreds of years of foreign oppression, of rule over them, the ever-present reminder of the consequences of turning away from their God, of the way that unrepentant sin polluted their common life, stained their worship and their mission in the world. And the deal they made and we're still making when Jesus shows up is that they would create a system of being in the world that would make sure that they wouldn't get close to that captivity, that destruction and heartache that they experienced during Isaiah's day. It's why we have groups like the Pharisees and, and, and other groups that, that drew lines around the law, that if they were to, to remain clean and keep the law, they would find the freedom, freedom away from that sort of destruction and captivity. But the deep, deep irony of the deal that they made was that, that while it may, it may keep certain sins away, it could never set them free. And even more tragically, when, when goodness comes, when life comes to them and they don't let it in, it has to be put to death or it will threaten the whole system. And no amount of management, no amount of sin management, no amount of deals made with our own deceptions can rescue us, can distract us from the reality that we are held captive in the grip of evil that seeks to steal and to kill and destroy. And I know many of us, I know many of us know what it's like to experience the, the many faces of captivity. I mean, some of us held captive by those destructive and nagging choices to chase uh, a substance or a thrill or to, to chase after being the best, the most accomplished, the smartest person in the room. Perhaps when we chase down these sorts of things, it, it distracts from the real experiences of inadequacy or loneliness, the ways we feel wrong deep in our bones. I mean, captivity can also find us in the powerlessness we experience from the fallen world that we live in. I mean, how stuck we feel when we endure another injury at the mercy of someone to help us. How unnerving it can be to, to face down a, a job loss or, or the threat of one. How full of grief to find that a loved one has past or is in that valley where the shadow of death lingers and settles. You see, captivity has many faces. And when it holds on, it can produce a world of hurt and anger and bitterness and despair for people like us. And yet it's right there. <laughs> it's right in the midst of all of the grief when the world is shifting and not the same, or when the darkness of others, or even when my own broken choices have left me alone and bitter and despairing, it is here, down here in the dark, in the death and sadness, in the captivity, in the poverty, in the emptiness that Jesus moves closer to you and me. It is down there when all hope is lost, when God's servant, when God's agent, who was to bring life to this world, is put down. 
And in this place, death holds on, it lingers, it's frustrating us, inviting us to, to make deals, deals that lead our hearts to say things like, you know, it is what it is, or you need to suck it up, or uh, I'm not going to risk opening myself up again. I mean, these are our words of a heart dead to hope. And the death of Jesus on Good Friday leads, it leads uh, to the uncertainty of that, of that Saturday for God's people, full of questions and doubts and uncertainties and longings. But in God's story, in the story of the world, when Friday and Saturday appear to us to be the end of the road, in God's story, they are just the road that leads to Sunday and to resurrection life. See, I know, Isaiah knows what Sunday is like. God's servant certainly knows and has always had a vision for what Sunday is and will be in the story of our lives. You want to know what it's like? <laughs> this is what Isaiah says. The brokenhearted, they will be put back together again. <laughs> Those who are bound up with any kind of captivity, they will be set free. Those who have been brought low with grief, they will find comfort, they will find joy. Those under the tyranny of injustice, they will behold righteousness, things will be made right. Those strangers, those rivals, those enemies, they will be called friends, ministers of God. Friends, this is what the gospel offers to us to dive deep, to honor pain and sorrow and suffering, even when those are the very things that we endure, and yet it doesn't leave us there. When you are in a season of struggle and the grip of captivity, it is completely good news to weep and to lament, to offer prayers, to offer real, honest prayers, crafted in weakness, in heartache, in faith, even faith as small as a tiny little seed. May God hears, he gets close, and I know this because he, he took on flesh. He shared human life with all its pain and complexity, showing us what it is to truly be human, to be whole. And the strange and the beautiful news is that when we travel the darkness, it is the unexpected road that leads us most fully to the surprise and joy and life of resurrection and shalom. This unmovable hope has come to us in Jesus to make us right, to set us in mission with God, moving into the dark places of this world by the power of his spirit. And the still good news that comes to us in our waiting is that he will sustain you till the end when he comes again to make all things new. Let me pray. Father, we ask that in your mercy and your compassion that you, our shepherd king, would tend to our souls, tend to our hearts, would find a refuge in your deliverance, in your loving care. Do this work, we pray, for each one of us this morning. In the name of Christ, amen. Will you please stand with us? We'll sing together.
Almighty God, you alone can bring peace into the ever-changing wills and affections of sinners. Grant us grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the constant changes of the world, our hearts may be fixed on you, where true joy may be found. And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Pastor Brian invited us to, to hear again the, the amazement and also the, the challenge of Jesus' words, that these promises, these deep promises were fulfilled in him. And as we gather at this table, it's, it's, it's good for us to remember this gift and, and who we are as we come to know and again the experiences of being bound and being held, whether that's in our own life or we see it in the world around us in profound and broken ways. To know what it is to be alone, to be filled with regrets or fears or to be mistreated, to know violence, to be held down, to be judged, to be hated. And what I want us to think today about this table as we come is to ask the question, what, what has changed? What is a different word in the midst of those realities that we feel or that we see? And the good news of this table is it proclaims a different story, a story about God that's very different than the world around us. Today, these words have been fulfilled in your presence. Jesus is inviting us to the possibility that there's something different. That God says to you and to me, I, I see you. That I love you. I am your God and, and you belong to me. This table invites us into those profound words. That God is with the captive that God is delighted to bind up the brokenhearted. God knows what it is to be afraid and speaks comfort to those who experience it. That's the message of this table. For when Jesus said these words are fulfilled, he is the one whose body would be broken and his blood shed to redeem sinners, to minister to those who hated him, to bring a new life to those who were covered in shame and filled with fear. So today, as we come to the table, we are invited to this new possibility, a new world, a new way of being in the world that rests in God's grace, but we're invited to share it with one another and our neighbors. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this table, and we do pray that you would meet us here. We come with our eyes open to the world around us, but also to the deep brokenness within us. 
we come with our eyes open because that is what you invite us to do. To come to a God who is sufficient and who is great enough to meet us in our deepest places of fear and of anger and of shame. We thank you that you are a God who does not shy away waiting for us to figure out the next steps, but you are the God who pursues sinners relentlessly, pursues us in our deepest and most broken places to bring a new life and a new story. We pray that by your spirit as we receive this bread and cup that you would minister to us and remind us of this, lift our heads that we may walk in new ways. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're taking communion this morning, I invite you to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. I ask if you're able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion today, we're, we're glad that you're here, and we still invite you to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and I can offer a prayer blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward. Let us now come and receive these gifts that God has for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can uh, pray and sing as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, grant us faith to trust in your grace alone as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Occasionally we have uh, opportunity to hear from our mission partners. So I want to invite uh, Matt and Aaron Henning to come forward. Um, very thankful for, oh, just Matt, okay. <laughs> well, you can talk to Aaron too afterwards. Uh, but very thankful for Matt and Aaron and their family and thankful for the work they're doing. So Matt's going to share about that and you'll see a little uh, information in your order as well. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, so as Chad said, uh, we're giving the ministry update this week. Uh, we're part of a group called Design Movement. It's a ministry of crew and so most people, when they think design, they're like, so do you guys do drawings or like artwork or like, you know, what, what do you do? But if you're South Asian, you're going to look at that and see the first four letters, D-E-S-I, which is uh, acronym for DESI. So they'll see that and go, wow, this is a group for us. Um, and so, um, so South Asian is anybody from Bangladesh, uh, India, Pakistani. Um, and so it, it's a contextualized ministry for South Asians. Um, when we came here in 2019, we started at UIC, and now we're at Purdue, UIUC, NIU, DePaul, and now recently launched in Indianapolis. So it's growing, and it's, it's, it's been really cool to see what God's been doing. Um, so one of the questions is, is, why South Asians? So the campus we serve on mostly is UIC. And if you've ever been to UIC, it is a very diverse campus. I think someone told me that 15% of UIC is Muslim. So huge population, uh, their weekly group that comes through is about 1,000 people, 1,000 Muslims come through every week, every Friday there at UIC. So huge, huge uh, group. Out of those Muslims, a more, grand majority is South Asian, um, which just happens to be the, the population in Chicago. On top of that, the other big group at UIC is Hindus, and the majority of Hindus are also South Asian. So it's a really, really cool group to get to work with. Um, and so partly on top of that is when you do get South Asian Christians, they're going to naturally have friendships with Muslims and Hindus. And so it's this really unique situation where we get to see a lot of different uh, people get an opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, so what do we do? Um, we do Bible studies like most people do. We do large group meetings. We do outreaches. Um, but we also do cultural events. And one of the reasons we do that is because we're going to still pull from all those different non-believing groups. And so just to give you an, an example of... What we might do, uh, last month we had curry nights on every single one of our campuses where we made food, um, Indian food, Pakistani food, things that they would naturally um, understand and, and grow up eating and, and uh, kind of have an affinity for. 
And so at NIU, just uh, as just a story to give an example, uh, we had a Hindu student come to one of our curry nights and said, hey, can I come? I'm not a Christian, but this is like food that I know and a culture that I know. Can we, um, can I come? And we were like, absolutely, everybody's invited. And so he came and he got to know us and, you know, he was, he was, he was very curious spiritually. He ended up coming to church the next week. And then the very next week, uh, through a Bible study, he ended up hearing the gospel and became a believer. And so, you know, just an example of how, like, even though he's Hindu, he still felt like an affinity for, you know, South Asian culture. Uh, another story, it's not always that easy, um, but last year we also had uh, a, a huge number of Hindus and Muslims come through. And one of them uh, was a Hindu who grew up uh, here on the south side of Chicago. And... Uh, he, while he didn't really, was interested in spiritual things, he really liked being a part of South Asian culture. And so he kept coming to our Bible studies, even though he wasn't really interested, kept coming to our retreats, kept coming to all of our social events. And then, you know, at fall retreat, we, this event we have once a year where we kind of have more of an intensive time um, to get together for a weekend. He came to that and it finally clicked for him and he ended up becoming a Christian. And now, you know, fast forward a year later, he's inviting all of his friends and all of his family um, to, to come to understand who Christ is. Um, and even for him, it's been really hard because his family was very op opposed to it. And so he had to, he had to deal with a lot of that stuff, but it kind of shows you how, you know, even, uh, if you don't actually, uh, have interest in faith, kind of understanding the culture and being contextualized really helps bring more people in. And so one last event we do is, it's called Faith and Chai, where everybody brings their friends and we do this usually once a month. And uh, just kind of a way to thank you guys for being such a great support for us over the years. And, uh, and just because we love you as our church family, we brought some chai. Um, so if you're into the you know, fresh cardamom and ginger and all that stuff um, and want a kind of a piece of our ministry, um, we have some chai in the back for you. And one of the things we do with chai is they always say, um, if you're going to have a really serious conversation with somebody, you do it over a glass of chai. Um, because you know those spices really relax people. And you know, so if you're going to have a conversation, especially about faith, it's got to be over a glass of chai. So oftentimes when we have our, our outreaches or we do what's called faith in chai, we always have chai there because it's kind of one of those staples of like, you know, we're going to have an have a interesting conversation tonight. So to do that, we just we, we thought we'd uh, bring some of that in the back and kind of thank you all for just being such a great support to us. Um, if you're interested in knowing more about the ministry or joining our prayer team, we also have prayer cards back there, um, and we'd be glad to talk to more about that. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Roy, uh, Roy is part of the mission team. He's going to offer a prayer for Matt and Aaron and the work they're doing. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for um, bringing Matt and Aaron to work on campus at UIC and the other schools. And Lord, we pray for uh, any of the students there who've already heard the gospel this fall. Lord, that you'd work in their hearts to open them to you and turn them to you. And we pray that there'd be many more opportunities this year for Matt and Aaron and the other uh, the believers on the campus to uh, share their faith um, to everyone. And Lord, we think as well of the uh, other campuses that they're involved in. We pray, Lord, for a great outpouring of your spirit in all of these places. Lord, that uh, you'd work in your people to be uh, valiant witnesses to you. And Lord, uh, to share in a way that would get people's attention. And, Lord, for your working in their hearts to turn to you. Lord, uh, there's much need, and uh, young people are open to the gospel in ways that the older people many times are not. So, Lord, we pray 
that the opportunities would come up, that your word would be shared, and many would be turned to you. And we pray for strength for Matt and Aaron and safety as they do this work. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to continue worshiping through the giving of our offering, our chance to respond to God's generosity. And so I'm going to invite the the greeters to come forward at this time. Um, There's a a gray basket you can put your communion cup in, and then also a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift or an offering to God. You can also, you can see in your order, uh, you can also give by the church's website or uh, by text as well if that was easier for you. Uh, I want to say welcome again. There is a black information pad uh, under the chair in the center aisle. If you're sitting there in the center aisle, I invite you to pick that up and Fill it out and pass it down. There's a chance to know who you're worshiping with today. Um, So you can pick that up and and pass it down. Um, Yeah, it'd be a great chance to to meet each other. And if you are visiting, we want to say welcome. Glad that you're joining us today. And as as Matt already mentioned, uh, there is a time of coffee and bagels after service and chai, uh, apparently. So that's good. Uh, So the table set up right outside the back door is behind you. Um, So hopefully you can stay after, have a chance to stop by the table uh, enjoy talking to each other, enjoy the, the, the grounds as well. So again, welcome, uh, and God, that we can be together to respond to God in worship. And let's continue worshiping uh, by the giving of our gifts. Join us for the doxology.
say after for a time of fellowship in the back here, um, now receive God's blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Go in peace. Amen.